Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And this week, I am taking you into the mysterious world of elves. And of course, we're talking about the Scandinavian slash Germanic version of elves, not any of the many other things that resemble elves from other mythologies. Not the Orlando Bloom elves, sadly. Although we we will mention the Orlando Bloom elves briefly at the top oh, of the good. segment. So I mean, honestly, like every every woman who was going through puberty as the Lord of the Rings films were coming out, and most men too. Thank you for oh, bringing yeah. up the Orlando Bloom <laughs> elves. Um, I'm like certain that everyone wanted to fuck Legolas, like male and female alike. I mean, he's got that beautiful blonde hair. He's a great archer, you know, like those bonable. eyebrows. Totally bonable. Oh, yes. Anyway, on that note, um, I'm going to be actually covering another like kitchen staple herb that's also hella magical and has some awesome herbalism uses specifically for this time of year, time. And on the topic of elves, I'm going to be doing our deity profile on Freyr, the Norse king of the elves. Very cool. I mean, because why why talk about any old elf when you could talk about the king of the elves? Exactly. But before we get started, I did just want to say I was texting Nick about this last night, and this isn't a spoiler. I'm just going to say that. But I did go see No Time to Die, and I have to say that foxglove makes a very important appearance in the film. And I just like screamed and was so excited. And after the movie, there was like, it was so Los Angeles. There was a whole kerfuffle with our fucking parking validation. And a bunch of us got stuck trying to get out of the garage because it was like $45. And we were all like, no, fuck that. So a big group of us ended up going back inside to the theater to like talk to the manager to get things sorted out. And I got to like talk about Foxglove and Digitalis and all of its like, properties on the heart with a bunch of strangers while we were working on getting our parking validation figured out so yay la but also foxglove in no time to die we have like a gardening villain which made me so happy also we're so cultural like we really have our fingers on the pulse right now we do and we had no idea we had no idea this was coming not consciously but i guess magically wands and fronds is really like in the know <laughs> oh yeah well, I also someone posted like a pretty big tarot page on twitter posted a falcor meme <gasps> this week and oh my I, God. I, I i did send you that screenshot as well yeah. and it's just like we're Falcor influencers for sure. Truly. I mean, if I had to be one thing when I grew up, Falcor influencer has to be at the top of that list, right? Absolutely. Uh, these are the career goals of your local witchy podcasters. Right. So I just like we're just telling you guys, like, not only are you getting the best herbalism and magic coverage here, it's also hella pop culture, apparently, because we are the it kids <laughs> okay okay right well, on that silly note <laughs> on that very silly note uh we do have some real podcast segments for you guys but before i get started i did want to casually mention that my cat oliver is not feeling great today and is joining me in my makeshift recording studio here in my bedroom uh scenic nick's bedroom if you will and um might be popping in so uh, if you hear any banging, crashing, meowings, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Just that's lots of love for Ollie while he's feeling under the weather. Oh, yeah. Uh, and actually, on that note, before I kind of dive in, we do get to find out finally in exactly a week's time what we are going to do about his teeth, probably taking them out. We're all very excited to have a toothless cat. Oh, my God. I'm excited for him to feel better, but I'm also really stoked for you to have a toothless cat. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's. I feel like that's very witchy. Yeah, it feels on brand. <laughs> it's, it's, it's on brand. <laughs> okay, so speaking of on brand, uh, I'm here to talk about elves. And uh, so this week in our ongoing and in-depth coverage of magical creatures, we're going to be taking a closer look at elves and elf lore in general. 
which will mostly have us checking out Germanic and Old Norse folklore and following the common thread to Iceland in modern times. So it should be a fun ride. And kind of diving in, I think a lot of people out there are going to have like one of two things come to mind when they hear the word elf. Santa's elves at the North Pole, who are sort of like Arctic garden gnomes turned indentured servants, but <laughs> somehow they're really stoked and cheerful about it. Or the elves of J.R.R. Tolkien's iconic fantasy series, Lord of the Rings. And those elves, for those of people who are out of the loop, are like hot, twinky immortals who sort of look down their noses at regular people and hobbits and are deeply involved in their own bullshit to the point of basically ignoring everyone else, if at all possible. And actually, it is the Lord of the Rings style elves that are more accurate to the original myths. So yeah. And and speaking of like beautiful twinks, it's like we had Orlando Bloom, but before this, Nick and I were talking about one of my favorite twinks, Timothy Chalamet. And I do feel like if they were making Lord of the Rings in this year of our Lord 2021, Timothy Chalamet would very much be at the top of the list, I feel like, for Legolas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would definitely... I mean, you know, he's the number one twink out there. He is. He's the ruler of the twinks. The Lord of the twinks, if you will. <laughs> uh, we stand a Lord of the twinks, anyway. <laughs> so, but the Lord of the Rings-style elves are more accurate to the original myths, so good news, everyone. They're pretty. And so they're originally described as being fair and more radiant and beautiful than the sun, which is pretty darn complimentary to their looks, if you ask me. So and uh, side note time, I really think it's a great topic to be our last episode of Libra season, because I personally feel like elves have a certain Venusian quality, especially Libra vibes, because really, like all these beautiful people living in their own little world. It seems very Libra to me. Oh, yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. Because there's also the whole like, the symbol of the scales and balance. And when I think about elves, I mean, I'm also like a fucking Tolkien nerd. But it's like that idea of like looking at the greater scope of the universe and like how things do need to be balanced long term. Like there's just so much Libra energy in elf lore so yes elves are libras i think canonically speaking every elf is a libra maybe a taurus but certainly libra um but we're we're rabbit holing so the og elves of germanic paganism seem to follow along the same lines as like satyrs and nymphs from the hellenistic inspired paganism to the south so these are spirits that are the embodiment of natural features from the landscape that sort of represent the animistic aspects of these spiritualities. So when we're talking about animistic religions, it's, it's Shintoism. It's like everything, everyone, every rock, every tree has a little spirit. And, you know, the older and more important the thing is, the more powerful the spirit is. So when you get to like ancient trees, ancient rocks, ancient hills, these are very, very powerful spirits that people are paying homage to uh, over long periods of time, uh, but they're sort of the spirit of that thing. Um, and that's kind of how elves are seen initially, uh, but we do kind of have that element of like this parallel universe that sort of overlaps ours and the elves being invisible and choosing which people to reveal themselves to and, you know, it's sort of like the world of the Fae, where it's like overlapped with ours and humans can kind of accidentally go there um, to the world of the elves. But um, but yeah, so another common aspect between like elves and satyrs and nymphs is that they were indifferent to human affairs and exhibited high amounts of free will in their dealings with mankind. So sometimes they choose to help Sometimes they're more mischievous and play little tricks, or sometimes they're downright malevolent. And they're like, well, fuck you for asking. Now I'm going to, you know, give you a famine or make you have deformed babies or, you know, just really nasty stuff. And uh, or or, you know, in the case of our beloved Baba Yaga, 
refusing to get involved at all, deeming it unworthy of their time. Thank you very much. Uh, but since these creatures were seen as like powerful nature spirit types who acted in their own self-interest, they were sought after for magical assistance and sacrifices or more accurately bribes could be used to sway their favor to your benefit. Uh, and so a lot of early elf devotion centered around fertility. And it is from this era that we get the stories of like changelings, which is, I actually, I thought it was interesting linguistically to look at this because this is where we get the word oaf, which is uh, from the original word for changeling, which is related to alf and elf, which is a whole other thing and a whole rabbit hole that I'm actually not going to go down, except to say, I was going to say, we it. do talk about Alfheim later, so We're, we'll get a bit of a taste of it later, too, with Freyr. Sure, sure, sure. And I knew that was coming, so for sure. But I was like, but the word oaf referring to a changeling child, which would likely be a normal human child with developmental problems. Yeah, it's like, that sounds fucking rude. Uh, but they would they would claim, they would claim, of course, that, that these these kids were were changelings and were swapped out by the elves as a form of punishment, either for not making the right sacrifice or, or making the right uh, devotion to the elves while you're pregnant, then, you know, you, you end up with the changeling. Uh, so, you know, gotta watch out for that. <laughs> uh, but okay, so here's where things get a little druidy or maybe green manish i don't know so we know for a fact that the old norse had a belief in elves Freyr, one of the vayner gods rules over alfheim and on that note alfheim is widely speculated by scholars in this area to be one of the nine worlds connected by the tree of life yggdrasil very cool very fun right and so the Norse people even had a holiday at the end of autumn called Alphablot, or Blood for the Elves, that was celebrated in isolation and secrecy by the Lady of the House, and about which next to nothing is known. Um, and this is where it gets fucky. So much like the elves themselves in our surviving counts of Old Norse mythology, it is mentioned only in passing as part of a saga with a very different narrative focus. So what do we know about Alpha Blot? Uh, in that particular story, the travelers are trying to find a place to rest on the night of Alpha Blot, but they keep getting kicked out by these like angry women who are viewing it as bad luck to have strangers present during their holy rites. So we know when the Alpha holiday was because it's in the story. And we know that it was popular enough that every house was celebrating it when they were coming across these uh, different houses on their path. And we can reasonably assume that it involved sacrifices with a name like Blood for the Elves. I mean, uh, you, you don't just name your holiday that for no reason. Um, but I think, and I really do not want this to come across as like sexist, um, but I think we can reasonably assume that since it was one of a very few rituals of this type that was officiated by women, and it was traditional to do it at home, that it is safe to say that maybe the elves were being petitioned for things to do with the family, the home, and again, fertility. Uh, but in the harsh, cold world of reality, that's not a lot to go on based on these original source materials. So we know they had a holiday. We know when it was. We know it was super duper secret and only ladies could do it. But that's it. And in fact, it's even ambiguous whether elves are even an entirely separate species, so to speak, as the Vayner gods considering Freyr is their king, which would sort of make you think that Freyr is an elf, uh, and the fact that the two words are sometimes used interchangeably for Vanir and elves, uh, at least initially. Um, 
And I think it's also pretty ambiguous what the association with elves is with ancestor worship and rituals, because we know from the Poetic and Prose Edda, uh, which were written hundreds of years later by Icelandic Christians, by the way, the three el- the three realms of Alfheim were referred to as heavens, uh, sort of denoting their connection to the afterlife, and also sort of the fairness and beauty of the elves themselves, but you know, kind of making that Christian connection to heaven when you're referring to the world of the elves um, does sort of indicate that they had something to do with the afterlife. And we know that they were often petitioned to treat war wounds as well. You would go to certain hills and make a kill a bull and they would say, you know, to make the hill red with a with the blood of a bull to gain the favor of the elves and heal your wounds. So uh, they, they seem to be sort of guardians of the afterlife in certain capacities. Uh, but also, this is a culture with a lot of different versions of an afterlife, sort of depending on how and where you died and whether or not you made the right sacrifices before you died or if you took the precautions because you might die. And is it the elves whose reality was parallel to ours but unseen? Are they the, the, the spirits of your ancestors in heaven? Are they just the guardians of the afterlife due to their ability to move between this realm and ours? It's extremely unclear, like what their connection is with this ancestor worship and the afterlife. Uh, and it's really uh, because they didn't write shit down. Uh, you know, we have the poetic and prose eddas from a much later time and sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod. We're Christians now. So these are just stories and sort of changing up all the really grisly bits. So it wasn't so offensive to their Christian overlords. Um, but what we do know is that they were beautiful. We've mentioned that before. They lived in a parallel world that exists in the same space as ours and uh, they could choose to show themselves to humans at will or remain invisible. And in a way, I think it's appropriate that such a secretive and hidden race of beings are proving just as elusive from a research standpoint in modern times as they do in their stories and myths. And I think it's important to note here that in the actual height of the Viking Age, elves were kind of a minor cultural footnote. And the bigger picture, so to speak, that we get from the poetic and prose eddas centuries later, again, written by Christian-educated Icelanders, is that the gods and the trolls and Ragnarok and all that stuff is the more important stuff. Like, the elves are mentioned twice in the poetic edda as sort of passing characters, and that's not a lot to go on. Um, and I think that's sort of where we would drop the thread if it hadn't found a safe haven in Iceland. Uh, so we kind of have to look at that if we're talking elves in general. So Iceland officially Christianized in the 11th century, but being such a remote post of Christendom comes with some quirks and perks, so to speak. And the perk being that Unlike Scandinavia, which was very close to mainland Europe, they didn't burn their pagan history to the ground as blasphemy and instead took Christianity on as like an extra religion. So the the, the really quirky thing is that you would have good church-going people who went home and told stories about elves and epic Viking heroes and gods and trolls and saw no problem with this kind of duality. And the church really didn't care. I mean, they saw Iceland as like this backwater. So why are we going to do anything about it as long as they're paying their tithes and nobody's killing the priests, right? And I think another quirky thing to point out about Iceland is that their particular flavor of elf lore, we can look at as a remnant or a continuation of the Scandinavian version, but it's actually a multicultural hybrid. And, uh, sort of this is the beginning of where we start to see like the the santa christmas gnomes uh and i'm gonna tell you why um 
So we know that Iceland was colonized by people who were originally from what is now Denmark and Sweden uh, and parts of Norway. But something that probably gets overlooked more than it should, especially, you know, like from an American perspective, this is something that I had not even thought of or learned about ever, uh, is that Vikings were big time into slavery. Uh, I mean, we knew I, I knew Vikings would capture people when they would raid a place. But I, I guess you never really think of them like bringing the slaves home and making them do shit, right? Uh, but the surprising thing to me was that the original population of Iceland, and of course, all of the people in Iceland are descended from these people. Yes, it's a lot of Scandinavians. But it was a lot of Irish slaves. So we end up with a version of elves called the Huldefolk, or hidden people, that is sort of incorporating the classical Irish hill fairy and the Scandinavian elf into one entity. So what we're looking at here is that instead of being more or less people-sized, which elves had been up until this sort of hybridization, bastardization occurs with between the elves and the fairies, uh, to being multi-sized. So you still had regular... So they even say in modern times that, you know, someone you might run into on the street could be a, a Hildefolk um, because they, they can take this form of a normal person. But then you have the tiny little guys that are kind of like fairies or they're not really fairies because they're they're elves still, but they kind of take on this garden gnome kind of thing, you know, pointy hats and and they're just little guys and they live in rocks and boulders and and you know it's like this is kind of where they they start to get a little a little more leprechaun-y even like you you sort of have this this very heavy influence from the Irish not only with the diminutive of size but also kind of being like little tricksters and uh they they're not really as important or as powerful as like the traditional Scandinavian elves. They're, they're like these little tricksters and, you know, little highway robbers and that kind of thing, um, which gets sort of exported to Europe. And they think, oh, this charming little cultural tradition, these little elves. And then those sort of, that's where you get Shakespeare writing about like Puck, who is, is sort of seen as this elfin character. And that kind of follows along this uh, Hildefolk guideline. So you kind of have, it, you know, it goes to Europe, it gets romanticized, it goes back to Iceland, and then it takes on even more of this, this goofy, gnomey, trickster characteristics. And then now, you know, that's what they sell in these stores in Iceland to sort of represent these Hildefolk are, are, you know, they look like garden gnomes and they put little houses out for them, which you know, is something they would do in Ireland for for the fae or the fairies. You know, you put a little a little house out in your garden for them, um, and it's yeah, it's it's a multicultural combo. So, uh, and you know, I think it makes good sense. I think this is one of those cases where these two groups that were culturally isolated from each other look at the same phenomenon and give it two different names, but ultimately realize that they're talking about. The same thing, uh, which is very good and cool, in my opinion, because it's kind of one of those things where it's like, can we look past our differences and realize that almost every like spirituality in the world is trying to put the same things into context and we give it different names and, you know, we, we give it different sort of characteristics. But I think at its root, we're, we're, there's a lot of things that we're, 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 we're describing the same thing with different names. Uh, and so it's kind of cool that they were like, no, it's the same thing. Um, and yeah, so kind of moving on. It also leads to the most devout and lasting elf mythology out there, which is why we zeroed in on Iceland. I mean, to this day, 
the Holdefolk are very prevalent in Icelandic culture. They're icons there. And in one survey of a famously atheistic and science-forward nation, mind you, more than half the population does not rule out the existence of the Holdefolk, which is a lot. I mean, that's more people than believe in Christian God in America. Um, and in one interview that I watched, the gentleman from an Icelandic elf museum said that the explanation for this is easy, and that's because almost everyone has had or knows someone personally that has experienced the Hildeful personally in real time. So that brings us to the Icelandic roadworks. Uh, cue the dramatic music, because this is where I think things really veer in a weird direction, because even I was not prepared to be talking about municipal road projects in this episode, but here we are. So this... I, I like that. I like that this is like really going full municipal, like local government guys is important. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so this information comes from actual news sources in Iceland and not urban legends or written myths or anything like that. So please feel free to look this up yourselves. But there have been major construction problems in Iceland associated with elves reported up until very recently. The most recent one I could find was like 2007. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't still happened or maybe their new approach seems to be working. Uh, but every time they tried to build this specific road to the north of Reykjavik through what has long been known as a hotspot for the Hultafog. Okay, so they've had these construction problems in Iceland associated with elves. And the Icelanders do have a belief that the Hildefolk live in certain rocks, hills, and other natural features, which, okay, lots of people believe certain sites are holy or spiritual, and buildings and highways still happen without many issues at all. Uh, but every time they tried to build this specific road, again, to the north of Reykjavik, which went through a volcanic plain uh, that's about 8,000 years old, uh, it would have required demolishing one of the elf rocks. And this is like a big time elf rock. It's again, a hot spot. This sort of barren volcanic plain was seen as a huge hot spot for the Holdefolk, for the elves. Uh, and every time they would try to start work on this road, keeping in mind, we're not even near the rock yet. Just every time we're trying to start work on this road, the machines would break down or there would be uh, seismic activity. Uh, Iceland has a lot of earthquakes and volcanoes, so that's really not super surprising. Uh, but at one point, they inexplicably dug into a huge reservoir of water that had not shown up in the initial surveys. And, uh, you know, they do pretty extensive surveying in Iceland whenever they're building roads because of all the volcanoes and the earthquakes and the seismic activity. They fucking have to, right? Um, and then they find this huge reservoir of water, and you you end up with this kind of cartoonish scenario where like one of their bulldozers falls into the water and is completely ruined. And it's like that's the biggest one uh that that has this really long story arc. They eventually just moved where they were gonna build the road and stopped having problems, right? But Situations like this are like a nationwide epidemic in Iceland to the point that the government starts hiring elf seers, which are like psychics that can talk to the elves to try to negotiate, which, of course, the answer is don't fucking destroy the elf rocks. You at least have to move them uh, sometimes. So they, I mean, they, yeah, it feels like a pretty straightforward fucking solution government <laughs> saved you some money there. Right, 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 right. But the government has to then carefully remove these like mossy boulders and shit. Like they're priceless art because you can't break it or else you'll end up getting cursed and you have to move it to a better spot. That's what the elves asked for when they were doing their like union negotiation, the fucking 
local governments in Iceland. So I just I love that elves in Iceland have more bargaining power than most yeah. fucking workers in the United States. Oh my god, Briar, right? Um but I mean like literally they're getting imminent domain and they're sending <laughs> they're sending elf psychics out to these rocks to talk to the elves and be like, "Well, what do you want?" And uh there's literally documented it's a documented fact that they spent lots and lots of money moving a multi-ton boulder to a more scenic seaside spot because that's the only way that the elves would agree to let the construction project go through. Well, and it's fucking polite. If you're going to take their home, you better upgrade them. Right. And so I think the really bonkers thing is that it seems to work. So every time they run into one of these elf rocks or or these like known elf hotspots, the malfunctions stop as soon as they meet the elves' demands or they change their plan, and then the work can continue as normal. And either this is some Scooby-Doo shit on the elf seer's part, you know, he's like sabotaging all of the construction equipment. Uh, so they call him, and then he can miraculously stop the elf problems, uh, which seems very complicated to do. Yeah, especially like, in a country where you have like healthcare, and it's not like as dog eat dog as it is in the U.S. That feels like an awful lot of work. That seems like an awful lot of work. Uh, or elves are real, or there is some trickster god in Iceland having the time of their life convincing the Icelandic people that elves are real uh, or all three or like the Irish suspected all along, maybe Iceland isn't a hot spot for elves and it's the Fae, but they like agreed to call them elves to blend in with their new Scandinavian style culture. And, uh, you know, but I think to kind of end it here, I think it's very appropriate that at the end of a segment where I was supposed to be talking all about elves, I am left with more questions than answers. Since elusiveness is one of the main vibes of elves, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It makes sense. They're elusive. Yeah. They, li- I'm like, they that live feels in a like par- the point. It's the point. They, they, li- <laughs> they live in a parallel universe. Like, what the fuck are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Um, and on that note. I would like to personally reach out to the Tourism Board of Iceland to give me money, please, so I can go investigate more myself. Thank you in advance. Iceland, please fund a Wands and Fronds research trip. We will make podcast episodes about it. We will do YouTube videos. We will write shit up. We will do whatever you want us to do in exchange for the travel money. Thank you so much in advance. Hey, thanks. Bye. Uh, I love that. And I do love elves. And I talk a little bit about this weird, like, connection between the ancestors and burial mounds and elves. But before we get into that, we're going to take, like, a slight detour into herbalism. Um, So I did mention up top, I'm covering, like, another culinary sweetheart that honestly can add as much flavor to your craft as it does your roast chickens. But um, But, um, Um, so it's, I'm talking about time or thymus vulgaris, uh, fun etymological fact, vulgaris, which is where we get the word vulgar is less lascivious than you might imagine, because it literally just means common. So it's still like kind of an insult when you think about it, like using vulgar for humans, like, oh, it's just so common. Uh, but for an herb, it literally just means like the most common typically to Europe, since a lot of like Western herbalism does have like a very Eurocentric view. So historically, time was used in the embalming process and as a ward against the Black Death. Uh, Time is often one of the ingredients in um, the Four Thieves oil that you see all the time or the Four Thieves like vinegar, however you see it made. Um, It was also so important to the ancient Greeks who used time in like fumigation processes, i.e. they burned it, um, that it actually shares the same name with purification. So time has been a big deal for a long time. I'm sorry, I I can't help it. There are going to be a lot of puns, some accidental 
in this segment. Uh, so <laughs> thyme is in the Lamiaceae family or the mint family. So you guys know it's pretty easy to grow. However, I just have to say up top in my experience, thyme seems to really attract the squirrels in my neighborhood. Like anytime I have thyme planted, it feels like they dig everything up. I just went out today and like half of my holy basil and my thyme was like totally dug up. So you know, maybe just invest in some cayenne. Maybe the squirrels around Park La Brea just really like thyme, and that's unusual, but, you know, just throwing that out there. So if we're going to talk about it, though, we got to talk about what it looks like, right? And not when it's like dried and crispy in an herb shaker. So thyme is super dense, and it actually grows as a ground cover, typically. Um, it has like super tiny leaves and it produces these like pinkish white spikes of flowers that are are really pretty and it's a mediterranean herb so since we've covered several of those i know that a lot of our longtime listeners are going to immediately know a lot about its care requirements from that so just look at how much you guys have learned look at how far you've come but because it's from Mediterranean areas, we know that it's going to like to dry out a bit between waterings. It's going to need really well-draining soil. It needs full sun. And it also will grow well alongside things like sage and lavender because it will die off and like rot if the soil is too rich. You know, think about those like rocky Mediterranean hillsides, right? So it's pretty standard um, as far as like other Mediterranean herbs go. And it makes a beautiful like arranged planter doing like sage, lavender, and thyme all together. Very pretty. There are a few other varieties um, outside of like the thymus vulgaris that you can find really readily these days, like lemon thyme and creeping thyme. And one of the books that I used today suggested letting creeping thyme take over like dry, sunny lawns. And creeping thyme is also called elfin thyme. So see, see the theme. Um, which honestly, though, the idea of having like creeping time as your lawn cover sounds awesome. Like, can you imagine having to mow the lawn and half of it is creeping time? Like, oh, very aromatic experience. I, I feel like that would honestly add to that lovely fresh cut grass smell very right? nicely. Totally. I totally agree. Um, so if you are going to grow thyme in a pot, you'll do best looking at something like terracotta or clay, something that can like dry out plenty between waterings that's not going to hold on to water. Plastic, in my experience, for the Mediterranean herbs tends to keep things a little too moist. Um, if you're growing it from seed, be aware that these are super small seeds, like kind of similar to lavender. So you'll want to like sprinkle them on top of the soil and then just like dust them with a little bit of extra potting mix over top and then like spray them with a spray bottle and they'll sprout up in no time. But this is actually like the best time of year to find it um, in starts. So for me, and I can just speak to my experience, but I see this all the time in Trader Joe's starting around mid-September is they'll have the pots of fresh thyme plants. Um, I actually two years ago got one that was like sage, thyme, and rosemary. So if you live near a Trader Joe's, I've had really good experiences with Trader Joe's herbs. So, you know, your mileage may vary, but that could be a great place to pick some up for my urban dwellers, especially if you're already there for groceries. Um, and of course, you can always find it at like Lowe's and stuff as well. I just mentioned Trader Joe's because time is one that I always see there. It just seems to always be in the rotation. Um, so to use the plant, you're going to, of course, have to harvest it. <laughs> so just remember, like time is really similar to hedges, right? Like it really thrives with a good shear once in a while. You don't want to take it all the way down to the ground, but like you can take off a pretty substantial amount of time at once and the plant will actually like grow back even better. And of course, like fresh time is more potent, but you can use dried as well if that's what you have on hand. So this is like a great medicine. Let's talk about herbalism. This is your weekly disclaimer that I'm not a doctor. Onward. Um, thyme is actually medicinally really similar to bee balm and oregano. So keep that in mind if you need these properties, but maybe have one of the three on hand. But, you know, I, I love a good substitution. So I'm just going to say bee balm and oregano. Those are your easy, easy to trade out ones. Um, for me, I also look at those as like dupes for magical properties, which is something that like when I'm writing in my herbal grimoire, which 
is also like a materia medica, I will include like substitution possibilities on the page, which to me, I think is really helpful because you shouldn't need to go to the store every time you want to do anything magical. Like that seems insane. So just an organizational tip there. Um, So thyme is a dry warming plant that's great for like damp, stagnant congestion, right? It has a very strong affinity for the lungs. So this is like a super winner for fall and winter time. Um, We're actually having like a crazy windy couple of days in LA and I am super congested today. So like thyme tea is a perfect antidote for right now. And it works really great with like honey and ginger. So you could do like a ginger thyme tea with some fresh honey, which is like a great mix for like bronchitis, asthma, allergies, just general like ickiness. Like if you have a cold. And if I, was, ever- I was actually going to say, I put thyme and ginger in my recent batch of homemade chicken soup because I had bronchitis. And yeah. let me just tell you, that was the ticket. Yeah, dude. It's like, it's really no joke. Like time is so good for your lungs. And that combination is just such a good like one, two punch. Yeah. And I, I, and also, I mean, you know, it's like chicken soup, chicken soup for the soul. Uh, but really, I was <laughs> like, oh, you know, because it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not cooking solely for the flavor. So I literally got like a whole packet of Whole Foods time, you know, which is yeah. really enough for for multiple different recipes. Uh, and just threw the whole fucking thing in there. Oh, dude, uh, I do that all the time in the fall, too, especially because like when you put more in there, I think you can really feel it's like herbal properties of like helping cleanse, like clear out all of the mucus. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so great. It is. It's so good with chicken. And now I just want soup. I'm like not even <laughs> hungry, but I want soup. Um, I also often make bone broth this time of year and I'll throw a shit ton of thyme in when I'm boiling the bones. I usually do like thyme and rosemary um, because those are both like really great for respiratory health and I'm an asthmatic with like allergic asthma. So those are things that I'm always thinking about. Um, If you're making bone broth and you have like a head of garlic, like a whole bulb that's like maybe about to go off, I usually just throw the whole bulb in there too and then like boil everything for like 12 hours before straining it out for the bone broth. So, uh, so many good soups on the way. Um, On a different note, if you've ever used Listerine, you might recognize that like tiny edge to it. And that's because um, thymol is one of the most prominent ingredients in Listerine mouthwash. And that's because like thyme has antifungal and antibacterial properties. So it's really useful in things that require that, you know, like mouthwash, but also for things like foot sprays, wound compresses, or even as like a slightly less intense substitute for tea tree and a household cleanser. Um, Because I have like countertop cleaner that I make and sometimes tea tree is just a bit much, right? Like I don't, I don't like it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it is a lot. I don't pull out tea tree for everything because that seems excessive, but thyme is a great ingredient in like household cleansing sprays. Um, You can also find flower essences of thyme, which are said to help you like live in the moment, especially when there doesn't seem to be enough actual thyme, T-I-M-E, which also seems like super helpful for this time of year because I know fall and going into the holiday season gets crazy for everyone. Um, I haven't personally had any experiences with flower essences, but I've been reading more and more about them and I'm intrigued. So I'll keep y'all posted if I do ever get around to that. So if you're going to want to make like an herbal tea for, you know, medicinal uses, um, you can use half a teaspoon to one full teaspoon of dried herb or up to a cup of fresh thyme. And that's like measured pre-chop. And you can put that in like a big mug Again, if you're making herbal teas for like their therapeutic properties, you definitely want to put a lid on it as it's steeping to try and prevent all the volatile oils from like evaporating. Um, And it's again, it's really good with things like ginger. You can infuse honey with thyme also, which I think would be awesome in a tea. But I also mentioned later is like a topping for a flatbread, which... I'll get to. Um, You can also make a tincture of thyme in 95% alcohol with a one part herb to two parts alcohol ratio if you're using fresh herbs. 
But if you're making a tincture with dried herbs, it's going to be like one part herb to five parts alcohol. And you're going to look for like a 50 to 60% alcohol in that case. Um, But if you're interested in making tinctures, like Everclear really is going to be super useful for you because it has that super high percentage alcohol, which is really great for um, pulling out a lot of those like properties and the volatile oils and things like that. So that's that for tinctures. Um, And again, I mentioned honeys and like using that as like a topping for flatbread. Like, can you imagine a thyme honey on like a feta and olive flatbread? Like yum, yum. But in entering Hecate's garden, I had actually already written this, like talking about making like honey, thyme, honey flatbreads. And Cindy Brandon actually includes a recipe for goat cheese crescents that you can use as like an appetizer for coven gatherings or as an offering to Medea, Hecate or other fire deities that you can also eat as well. So in her recipe, it's goat cheese, honey, thyme and pomegranate seeds. And then you mold them into like a crescent moon shape. And so you can do like one crescent moon for the offering and another for you and like your coven or just you to eat during the ritual, serve it with crackers or pita. Yum, yum, yum. Like delicious. So on that tasty note, we're going to talk magic. Time is associated with the planet Venus, the air element, the zodiac sign Taurus and cats. Uh, Time also has a strong affinity for the fairy realm. So it's a great herbal ally if you work with the fair folk. And as Nick said earlier, and I've kind of touched on, like, there's a lot of connection between like the fairies and the elves when you start digging into lore. So I think that, you know, if you work with one or the other, I feel like time is going to be a really good offering for them. Um, With that said, since I mentioned the fair folk, it is also associated with cats. So if you want to leave an offering to the cat she, who we've talked about, time could also be like a great thing to leave as an offering or as part of an offering. And time is useful in magic related to ambition, cleansing, courage, growth, banishing nightmares and strength. So I mentioned earlier household cleanser. Um, You could also use this like a household cleanser made with time in your like bedroom if you're prone to nightmares. So to do something like this, what I would do is like take like some white vinegar, maybe dilute it a little bit with water because I find that like just straight white vinegar with essential oils, it doesn't bother me as much, but Eric really hates the smell of vinegar and it can take a bit for that to dissipate. But, you know, do some white vinegar, maybe dilute it a little with oil and then just add some like thyme essential oil. And then, yeah, use that in your room. But if you wanted to just make like a room spray, you could even just add like use a really small bottle and add some water and a few drops of the thyme essential oil, shake it up real good and then just spray it. That way, you know, if you don't need a cleanser for your bedroom, that's another option. Um, This, you know, cleansing potion will help you like banish dust and unwelcome spirits is one of the ways I saw it described. So like double cleaning duty, you guys know Virgos love efficiency. Um, And with its history of like fumigation in Greece, you can also use it that way. So by burning it, Um, it is like a really gentle cleanser, like we've kind of talked about. So it's like, it's good for a light cleansing of the home, right? But if you're feeling like shit's in a real funk, you're going to want to maybe add like basil, lavender, rosemary, sage, something like that to kind of pump up the potency because, you know, with time, you're getting a much more like warming, gentle, kind of like cuddly type of cleansing as opposed to like sage feels like a power wash. So it's just knowing the energetics of your home and like what you're going for. Um, If you work with Hecate, this is like a great herb to use when invoking her and as an offering. And if you're using it in your cooking, you can also invoke its magic and ask this like plant to bring peace and happiness to your home. And of course, if you're, if you're working on like a soup, like Nick said, it does also help with like magic related to like cleansing. So maybe that's something with like the illness, you can help it like cleanse your body. You know, it's like thinking about ways to incorporate your magic into like your food rituals. Um, since time can be used to banish nightmares, y'all know we have to plug adding it to a sleep sachet. Uh, uh, take a drink, take a drink, everyone. <laughs> you can also place an open dish of time near like a threshold into your home to keep away unwanted spirits. But with that in mind, I also feel like it would be a great herb to add to like that under the welcome mat magical blend that we haven't talked about in a minute. Maybe 
including some time. Uh, you so. know, we we really uh we really need to write a book about sleep sachets and doormat magic. Yeah, and lemon balm. <laughs> and, and lemon balm. <laughs> Feet lemon balm. Um so yeah, we're just like getting everything in today, right? Um but yeah, that just about sums it up for this tasty plant. Um today I used Entering Hecate's Garden by Cindy Brannon, The Modern Witchcraft Guide to Magical Herbs by Judy Ann Nock, and Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies by Marita Maria Noel Groves. Ta-da. Um, I, I like this like little detour we've taken into like, like with tarragon and thyme, like plants that people cook with all the time, because Nick and I really are very kitchen witch, like in our lives in general. <laughs> I, I mean, I literally work in a kitchen now. And uh, the one thing I have made for like my, my own recipe involves so much time. Oh, and I, so good. And I was like, no, you guys, like, it's too much time. Um, because that's how I, that's literally how I cook with time. I'm like, okay, if I was going to write out a recipe, I'd be like a few tablespoons. But when I cook it, I'm like, it's like a cup, it's like a fucking cup of time in there. Um, and yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta be a kitchen witch, you guys. It's, it's way more fun. Yeah, it is. It's, it's good stuff. Um, great. So. To round out our elfin episode, as we mentioned at the top, I'm covering Freyr. And Freyr is actually the main fertility god in Norse mythology and was arguably one of the most important deities in like Viking Age Scandinavian society. Um, Freyr is actually not as much a proper name because Freyr means lord, right? So just to kind of like paint the picture for how important he was as a deity to like everyday folk. Um, and one old Norse poem calls Freyr the foremost of the gods and hated by none. So, like, you get the picture, right? Mr. Popularity. <laughs> he is Mr. Popularity. Um, Freyr is said to rule over the sun and rain and give life to the fields. He also bestows peace and pleasure on mortals. So, like, good on him. But, like, with the ties to prosperity, specifically, like, and ecological and sexual fertility, the people wanted to keep him happy, right? So it like makes sense that he was such a big deal because he's the guy that's like basically going to determine whether or not your field or your wife are barren. So, you know, you want to be in his good graces. So his father is Nyard, um, a deity associated with wealth, fertility, and the sea. I've also heard it pronounced Nyard, but apparently with the two dots over the O, it's Nyard, according to some like you know, some native speakers that I heard from. So please don't come at me, but I heard Nyard. Um, so Freyr's mother is Nyard's unnamed sister. And Nyard was actually super cool too, because he was associated with wealth, fertility, and the sea. So he was like super big with seafaring Vikings, which I think is like one of the most common like Viking mental images that we have, right? Um, so... In addition to like having a badass dad, uh, Freyr had a ton of love lovers, which included like other goddesses, giantesses, and even his sister Freya. And this is one of those instances, like kind of similar to like other mythology we've talked about. Incest was totally cool with the gods, even though I want to be very clear that ancient Germanic people didn't practice incest, just like making that very distinct. Um, Freyr is always described as like a real hottie and his residence is Alfheim, which is the homeland of the elves. And there's a line in the Eddic poem, um, Grimnismal, that ties Freyr to Alfheim, which is, again, this mythical world of the elves. And it says, um, and Alfheim the gods to Freyr once gave as a tooth gift in ancient times. So see, like elves, here's the tie-in. And this is the line that leads people to call Freyr the king of the elves, right? Because this indicates that the gods literally gave him the entire realm. You and um, you know, this actually came up in my research. I'm so sorry to cut you off here, but um, I was like, "What the fuck is a tooth gift?" Um, and so apparently, that's a gift that you get when you cut your first tooth as a baby. So this was not an adult god. This was a a, a baby gift for him. Yeah, yeah. That it's like a very god thing to do that like in a lot of deity stories and you see it in ancient greece too um where gods are like given gifts of you know like mountains and shit as 
babies. It's like, uh, it's like, oh, you're a baby. You'll know what to do with this. Yeah. I'm like, when I was a baby, I got a blanket and a stuffed lamb. I did not get the mythical realm of elves, but alas, uh, there, there is again, like this really, really strong connection between like burial mounds, the elves and ancestor worship. And a lot of scholars do think at a certain point, the elves weren't actually seen as like elves and fairies. They were considered like the deceased ancestors. And then over time that kind of shifted into elves and fairies in ways that as Nick's already mentioned, it's really hard to trace, but obviously like you think about burial mounds and then we talk a lot about fairy mounds in Ireland. So there's like, there's a lot of connections here. It's, I feel there's like a lot, there's a lot of mounds. Yeah. I feel like Charlie day at the whiteboard with like all the different like string connecting everything, but we really have no answers. Um, Frere was however, though worshiped at a huge like temple mound in Sweden and was venerated with like pilgrimages to the site, as well as processions like throughout the various lands where he was worshiped, which again, like sounds very familiar to a lot of like fairy worship that we see in the Celtic area. So I just, I do think it's really interesting how much overlap there is there. But one of the best things that I read anywhere is that Freyr is recorded to have been worshipped by effeminate men who danced wearing bells. Oh so my God, the original, the original Lord of the Twinks. Right? We've come, the- we've come full circle. <laughs> we have come full circle. And these are Timothy Chalamet's ancestors. Um, <laughs> beautiful effeminate men dancing around wearing bells. So that was just, I was fucking delighted when I found that. Um, so Freyr as a god is associated with three magical artifacts most commonly. An intelligent sword that never misses its target, a golden boar, and a fantastic ship. Worth noting that these are all dwarf made. And his boar was actually popularly invoked among Germanic and Nordic tribal warriors. Uh, so one of the most extensive surviving myths about Freyr relates to him falling in love with a female giantess. She does eventually become his wife, but he first has to like give away his sword, which does come back to haunt him because at Ragnarok, the god is said to be left to fight the fire giant Sorter without uh, his magical sword, and he does not survive. So Freyr is part of the Vanir, which is one of the two groups of gods you see in North mythology. The other is like the better known Aesir, but sometimes you see all Norse gods called Aesir, but you'll never see all Norse gods called Vanir. So it's like a circle or like a squares rectangles type vibe. Um, The veneer is like a specific subset of the pantheon that has ties to like fertility, sexuality, worldly prosperity. It's really like the day to day life of people, um, which is in pretty stark contrast to like the North mythology that's otherwise dominated by themes of like raiding and battle. So that's where that's where that sort of like delineation happens and there's also a third like quote-unquote clan of deities called the jotun which are generally malefic but wise giants who are the primary adversaries of the aesir and the veneer and freyr was one of the veneer that was traded to the aesir along with freya and his father nyard in order to cement peace between the two tribes of gods after like a big war um so that's like a little bit of background on freyr Things like they so often are, are a little bit scattered when you're reading about him because we don't necessarily have a lot of fully surviving mythology from this era. Um, But the good news is everything that I've read for people that do work with Freyr is that he's supposed to be like a pretty like easy god to call upon in modern witchcraft. Not to say that like you don't have to have good respect and go into this and like give, you know, give offerings and all of that but it's not like you're you're not seeing like the type of warnings like you do with the morrigan right people aren't like oh stay away from Freyr. it's like no man like he's like a loving god you just have to like be respectful go into it make sure you're doing your offerings doing the right thing um so you can leave him offerings of homemade food and i saw one person on reddit who said they like to sacrifice a wooden or paper boar to Freyr every august um which i thought was really cool libations are also an excellent choice for offerings as well as like bread beer or basically anything that would come from the field like if you garden or you grow your own food offerings of that would also be like super appropriate 
And you can call on him for work related to like love, fertility, protection. And I've even seen stuff about asking him to bless your marriages. And I also think that if you like to work with elves or the fae, like Freyr could make a really great patron deity because of those like strong ties. Also for like ancestor work, um, you know, we are coming up on Samhain, which is all about ancestry. So, you know, maybe Freyr could be honored on your Samhain altar when you're working with your ancestors. So those are just some ideas. Um, so for my sources, I used newworldencyclopedia.com, nordicwiccan.blogspot.com, Wikipedia, and Reddit. I love that random uh, Reddit at the end. Um, yeah. I always love when I'm doing deities, like sometimes it's not helpful, but a lot of times I do like to pop onto Reddit and see like the people who do practice like modern worship with the deities that I'm covering. Sometimes it's like bullshit and there's nothing useful. But once in a while, I do find cool stuff like, you know, sacrificing a fake boar. <laughs> which which I love. I, I do right? love that. Yeah. Me too. Um, so that kind of brings us very close to the end, you guys. And I got to do the taroscope this week. So um, for this week's taroscope, I decided to do something a little different and let my tarot deck decide who was getting a reading. And for that draw, not only did I sort of instinctively cut the deck into six piles for my final shuffle, but I also drew the six of swords as my answer to who should get a reading. So Virgo, it must be. And for my lovely Virgos out there, I have drawn the Three of Wands reversed. And this indicates to me that somewhere along your journey to personal fulfillment and enlightenment, you have encountered a stumbling block recently. Uh, the very great potential still remains, but you fear you may have overcommitted yourself or set an unrealistic timeline. Uh, and while I still see great hope in your current circumstances, as Virgos, planning and organization are intrinsic to your nature. And this wouldn't be the first time that you've squeezed blood from a dry stone on the power of your own due diligence. So I would say in summary here, three of wands reversed, diligence and vigilance are key right now. So you must be on the lookout for pitfalls and maybe be prepared to dig yourself out of any holes that you might encounter. Uh, which should be easy peasy for you guys. I mean, over-preparing is like the biggest Virgo problem. So I think you've got this. And um, that's that's my taroscope for the week. Oh my god, that's awesome. Um, as someone who has been like in a rut and feeling it for the past week or so, this feels very... Very appropriate. So thank you for calling all of us out. We appreciate oh. it. <laughs> um, and so I think you guys, if y'all wanted to correct any of our Scandinavian pronunciation, um, let us know if you know anything about elves, because I'll tell you, that was some tough research. I was digging around for the last like several days trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you have any hot tips on further information about elves, uh, where can they hit us up, Shannon? You can hit us up through email, which is wandsandfronspod at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Instagram and that's at wandsandfronspod. Love it. Way to keep yeah. it easy. And then you guys, you know, like, even if you don't want to talk to us, you could leave us uh, a nice little five-star review. You can download the episodes, um, you know, just like really get some engagement going in there because that does help us out. Even if you don't want to talk. I mean, we like to talk, but, you know, if you're shy like that, five stars doesn't hurt. Um, it doesn't. And Nick, I was going to talk to you about this before, so I will cut this out. But something that I've seen a lot that I want to offer, and I'm just checking with you before I do, is um, a podcast I listen to is doing like monthly drawings for free tarot readings for people that oh, leave reviews. It. So love I'm going to pop in and add that. Um, yeah. And on that note, like leaving five stars is super helpful. But specifically, if you can take the time to write a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps 
so much. And just as our way of saying thank you, uh, on the 1st of November, we're going to do a drawing from all of the people who have left reviews, and we will do a free tarot reading for that person. So get in your reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'm just saying Apple Podcasts because that is the one where you can leave written reviews. And again, like the ratings are great, but this is only for people who take the time to write a review. And then we'll announce it on the podcast who is going to be receiving that reading. Um, And I just also want to say next week is officially our anniversary episode. Oh, yeah. And we got got some fun stuff planned for you guys next week uh, for our one year ones and friends anniversary uh it's gonna be a celebration uh and i we really hope that you guys could all make it and i what do we say to all of the elfin bitches out there all of you beautiful twinkie elfin bitches blessed be bitches blessed be you twinkie elf bitches (laughs) goodbye bye now I did see your beloved twink, Timothée Chalamet. Timothée, uh, being the sweetest twink of all time. Also on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, because he's he's the most powerful twink right now. He is the most powerful twink, and I love that journey for him. It's like that big like cap energy, though. Once in a while, you're like, oh yeah, Timothée Chalamet is a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs>